It occurred when I was 20. I was on a month-long camping trip uh, up in the Rockies. We'd been on the trail for a month. We'd been climbing mountains, and we were on our final expedition. We were both navigating this whole experience without a map, and I felt horribly lost. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Jessica Hinken. And I'm Laura Wexler. This week on the podcast, Beyond the Pale, two tales of finding grace and strength in a time of profound suffering. This first story is from Rob Hirschfeld. He uh, told it at a recent event in which he threw his name in to be an audience storyteller. And boy, were we not um, prepared for just the it was it's a beautifully told and deeply personal and really profound story about loss. Um, You know, the audience storytelling portion can often be just fueled with liquid courage and adrenaline and um and it was it was such a beautiful moment because everyone in the audience was stunned quite literally so take a listen you'll know what i'm talking about this is not a story i tell very often it occurred when i was 20 i was on a month-long camping trip uh up in the rockies we'd been on the trail for a month we've been climbing mountains and we were on our final expedition i had gone with a team of uh, four, five people, two instructors and three other students in the class. And we had summited the mountain and we were climbing down, which most people don't realize down is the harder, more dangerous part. And it was getting to be sunset and we were worried about making it back to the base camp on time. And so we were rappelling down this mountain and there were a lot of loose rocks We assembled, we were rappelling. I was the last student to descend. And the instructor, as I was descending, warned me, watch out, there's a lot of rocks, a lot of loose rocks. And so as I descended, I watched. And below me, I'm going down on a rope. I'm clearing rocks, things are falling, pebbles are falling. And I look down, I put my foot on a rock the size of a watermelon. And it gets loose, dislodges. I look down below me, the other students in the class are on a ledge, a tiny ledge, the size of a steamer trunk. <laughs> and I yell down, rock, yell rock, fucking big rock! <laughs> and I yell. And I watch as the students below me, who've been trained for a month, instead of going up against the rock wall, lie down flatten themselves out along this ledge. The older person, who's 30 years old, takes the young person, we had a 13-year-old in the group, they both lie down on the ledge. And I watch, powerless, watch the rock fall as they're literally doing the wrong thing. And I watch that rock bounce down the cliff and hit the head of the 30-year-old. Time stopped. I get down as fast as I possibly can. I yell to the instructor, David's hurt. He's hit. What happened? A rock hit him in the head. Get down to the back. David's unconscious. Everybody's in shock. We have to make a split-second decision. The instructors 
and the 13-year-old leave the ledge. It's only the size of a trunk. They leave me with nothing. Bottle of water, David. A little bit of peanuts. And they go at dusk to get rescue. I perform CPR and mouth-to-mouth on David for 30 minutes until I realize there's nothing I'm going to do. Nothing I can do. And I just let David pass away on the ledge by myself. Over the next 12 hours, while I waited for them to come back with rescue, I watched the, the moon rise. I watched the stars rotate in the skies. And I had one of the most serene moments with David beside me that you can imagine. And yet, at the end of that, the end of that moment, I had to think through what happened. It was my foot that dislodged the rock. It was David's actions that put him in harm's way. And when things are hard, when things have happened that are out of my control, I sit back and I think about that moment. I think about just how difficult it was to live through that moment. And I know that I can handle anything that comes at me. Thank you. What I love about Rob's story is the grace that comes through and the sense that like he doesn't try to make it any less difficult or terrible than it was, but there's a kind of wisdom and calm that comes through that I find so compelling. Um, and yeah, that was a true gift for him to stand up and share this story. It really was. And it had been, he had not really shared it with, you know, certainly in any context like that before, but it's not a story that he likes to go around uh, sharing uh, for obvious reasons, um, is what he told me afterwards. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. We'll be right back with our next story for this week's episode. Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Catholic Charities. Celebrating its centennial in 2023, Catholic Charities is the largest private provider of social services in Maryland. Learn more about this movement to change lives at cc-md.org. So this next storyteller, Kim Worthington, also, I think, just extreme grace and strength in a time of being tested with what seems like a impossible challenge and then being tested again. Um, So please listen to this story from Kim Worthington. So almost exactly three years ago, I met my love. Matt was tall with green eyes and some serious grumpy old man vibes. He (laughs) liked to complain about his salt and pepper hair Uh, In part, I think, because he knew I'd tell him how sexy it was. Uh, His military experience meant that work was his purpose, so he spent his days, nights, weekends saving the world. He had seen the most extreme darkness, and it felt like it softened him 
to me. He supported my love of solo travel, helping to pick the books I'd take and nurturing my plants while I was away. And now that he was dating a minimalist, he knew that if he was coming to cook me dinner, he'd have to bring his whole kitchen. (laughs) In the most profound way, uh, he didn't want anything from me. Or maybe it was that he didn't want anything different from me. For the first time, there was all this space in a relationship for the full bloom of my wants and needs. We both placed a high value on independence and pleasure, and we found this rhythm, time apart, and then crashing together in sort of complete presence, attention. And then when he was offered a position in another country, he asked if I'd go with him. He spent his 30th birthday with me, middle of the summer, came over late after work. I remember feeling like he crashed into me, lamenting what felt like his sudden old age. Just as easily I crashed into him because it was the only thing I really ever wanted to do. It would be the last night like that. When I hadn't heard from him the next week, I wasn't worried. I called and his phone went straight to voicemail. And then a week turned into a month without any contact at all. It was easy to manufacture that aliveness I felt with him now that he was gone. My longing was full of anger, sadness, annoyance, disgust. I continued to call every time I felt consumed by thoughts of him and every time straight to voicemail. And after nearly two months, I called and he answered. My voice was aching as I asked, what happened? Are you okay? And he told me, told me that the night after his birthday, he had been hit by a car, pinned under as the engine burned his skin and tires broke his ribs and pelvis. He spent days in a coma with internal bleeding and a traumatic brain injury. And then when he awoke, memory loss. I often wonder, how do you know? in those first moments awake that you've lost your memory. I wonder if he was asked, who is missing you? Is there someone you love? 
Did he answer, I don't know? I cried softly into the phone as he told me what happened. I had spent months feeling abandoned and lonely, and now I just felt loathsome. I wanted to know when I could see him. He needed to end the call for his daily walk. He spent months living in the Midwest with his family while he recovered, and we would talk occasionally for hours at a time. I never once asked if he remembered me, remembered our plans, our jokes. The possibility of him saying no would have been enough to crush me. With each conversation, though, it was apparent that he was regaining some memories from the time before his trauma. But a memory isn't a feeling. Asking, do you still love me, is predicated on the person remembering they did so in the past. We were both navigating this whole experience without a map, and I felt horribly lost until I nearly died myself. Just a few months after his accident, I became really sick. It wasn't until I was in the worst pain of my life that I drove myself to the hospital Christmas morning. At that point, I couldn't take full breaths. And I was in shock from what I would learn was sepsis. My appendix had torn loose from my colon days earlier, and I was being poisoned. After weeks in the hospital and multiple surgeries, I had significant recovery ahead of me. I was too weak to walk my dog or stand in the shower. The months after my surgeries were full of all the worst things, chronic pain, eating, sleeping that's completely devoid of pleasure, self-pity, disgust, and the scorching bright light of awareness. I realized that with each conversation we had, I just wanted us to be all right. in part because it meant that he was okay and that some things were still the same. I was so full of need and not at all gracious with my love. And now, faced with my own trauma, I saw how 
impossible it is to be anything for someone else. When each day is spent painstakingly putting your body, your life back together. It's been about a year or so since we've talked. I don't know at this point what it would do for me. I know it's possible to forget you've loved someone. And it's possible for tragedy to completely remake you. Body, mind, spirit. Matt and I have been walking these seemingly parallel paths. Perhaps we are never destined to crash into each other again. So I don't know where the end of this story lies, but its conclusion transformed me. If you feel scarred, exposed, lonely, love more, if they've forgotten, forsaken, abandoned you, love anyway. Thank you. are blurring into years the lines retreating as every moment disappears the stories end to leave another yeah i remember she um she told that story she needed a stool which is not yeah. uh that usually our storytellers are just in front of everyone with a microphone standing and that's it and she um she just looked so vulnerable um, and, it, and but yet she has so much strength and yeah. resilience it was um, it was a really beautiful moment it was witness. and it is just one of the privileges of doing the work that we do is to get to know so deeply someone in this in this very narrow way but narrow and deep it's just one of the pleasures of the stoop, and we really um, we know these two stories were they're difficult today, but we hope that you found them to be, in a weird way, optimistic, just in the demonstration of like the resilience that you can have in suffering. So, not to say that you're all in for a lot of suffering, but well, Jessica thinks we are. I yeah, mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> if you were listening uh, to our last episode, you know, I you know predicted the 
extinction of, of the of cell phones. Well, the collapse of society yeah. and, you know, everything that would go along with it, which, of course, cell phones. Anyway. Well, if society doesn't collapse, we'll be back here in two weeks with our next episode. We want to thank Maureen Harvey for producing the episode. And please visit StoopStorytelling.com to learn about our holiday show and to listen to stories from previous episodes and from all of our live shows. Thank you, and we'll see you soon. The sun will glow, the seeds will grow, the wind will come and blow it all away. Because we are just a memory replaced.